are worthy of it all. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, thank you, worship team. Thank you, Dad. That was a powerful word. Amen, amen, amen. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you here, all your bright and shiny faces here. Welcome to Generations Church. Um, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name's Scott, uh, one of our pastors here at Generations, and uh, we're so glad that you're here today. If you're joining us by live stream, I'm just so grateful that you're tuning in. You, you've uh, you've welcomed, welcomed us into your home, or if you're, you're, you might be listening to this by podcast, uh, driving in your car. So thank you so much for just welcoming us into your space, and uh, I just pray uh, that God's got, I know he's got something really special for you today, and I just pray we all have the hearts and the, the ears to receive. Amen? Amen. 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 Uh, hey, if you got your Bibles, I invite you to turn in them over to Exodus chapter 15, and we're going to get rolling here. We are in the middle of uh, one of the oldest holy seasons of the Christian calendar, and that is Lent. Uh, the six weeks leading up to Easter is, is Lent. Uh, it's kind of modeled after the 40 days Jesus spent in the wilderness before he embarked on his ministry. So Lent is 40 days plus the Sundays, if you, if you want to get technical about that. Um, now, in the past years, during Lent, we have done some different things. Uh, sometimes, uh, very often as a church, we'll do a fast together. We'll call ourselves to a fast so, of one thing or another. Sometimes the Daniel fast, we've done that before. Uh, that's been good. And some of you this year, I'm talking to you and you're on your own. You're fasting different things, just using this season to, to fast, which is a wonderful thing. Um, but uh, this year, we, we're doing things a little differently because this past year, and even this past month with everything that's happened, has been such a time of disruption and sacrifice for so many of us that the idea of fasting can almost feel redundant. It's like, I have, I have, I have gone without, I have sacrificed so many things already. And so we're doing things a little different this Lenten season. And after some prayer and seeking God, we are taking the opportunity to turn our backs permanently on some things that keep us from being everything that God wants us to be. And uh, so we're asking, what is it I need to cry out to God? Take this season, just take a season. And if you think about it, it's almost it's six weeks, it's almost a tenth. It's about a tenth of your year. It's like a tithe. How do I take this season to cry out to God? To, what, what does he want me to leave behind for good, right? Not just, uh, you know, a little, a little thing here or there symbolic, but what can I leave behind for good? And so we've talked about, in the past couple of weeks, we've talked about leaving behind discouragement, hopelessness. Last week, we talked about shaking off the chains of control and our need to manipulate the course of our lives. And even that can get into manipulating God and what we couch it in spiritual language, but that's what we're doing is we're, we're trying to take control of our lives when really as Christ followers, we should be handing over control to the Lord who loves us. Amen. Um, and so this morning we're going to return to Exodus. We, we were in the book of Exodus last time. We we're going to return to Exodus to reveal another area that we can discover freedom. We're asking God, Lord, what can I leave? What is the Exodus I need to leave behind for good? Now the central idea behind the story of the Exodus is that there was this group of people who were slaves and God brought them out of slavery, out of bondage, into freedom. And that's really the narrative. It's kind of the thread that runs through all of Scripture, is God bringing us from bondage to freedom, isn't it? And it's about what happens in our lives when we're rescued by our Creator 
from the things that bind us. And so, if you have your Bibles, we're in Exodus chapter 15, uh, setting the stage here. God has rescued his people from Egypt. He's rescued them from a pharaoh that didn't want them to leave. He's rescued them. And they rejoice on the shore at their new freedom here. And then in verse 22, then Moses ordered Israel to set out from the Red Sea. And they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. That's why they was called Marah. Marah means bitter. Uh, and the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? He cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. And he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. By the way, I tried this at Lake Conroe when I was a kid. Uh, <laughs> threw it in the water, tasted it, it was still nasty. So I'm not saying this, I'm never saying never, but this could have been a, a one-time only miracle. Just... <laughs> Be careful. And then in, in Exodus, in chapter 16, they just get their water. So everything's great. They're awesome, right? Everybody's happy. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin. Uh, that's a geographic name for the region, by the way. That's not talking about the, the, the idea of, of sin that we would think of it in Hebrew be pronounced Zin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. So they've been out of Egypt for a month and a half, month and a half. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. This is after the, they threw the, the wood into Lake Conroe and got fresh water. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat. Ah. Oh of meat. And we ate all the food we wanted. Of course, our Egyptian slave masters were beating us with whips and everything like that and throwing our baby boys in the river. But there, we had pots of meat. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve us all to death. So God has rescued, he's redeemed his people because God wants to show the world a new reality. This is what it's all about. God wants to show the world what this God is really like. His call on them is that they would literally be a nation of priests. He's called them. I said, I want you to be a nation of kings and priests. Priests, these are the intermediaries between the people and God. These are the people who, the, the, the priests reveal to the people what God is really like, what his words are really like, his love, his grace, his mercy in their actions and then their kindness that's what priests do. And then at the same time, the priests act as intermediary. They stand in the gap and pray to God on behalf of the, the other people. So he wants them to be the priests to the world, to pray to God on behalf of the world and to show the world what God is like. Literally through their, how they live, God wants to use them in these profound ways to put flesh and blood on the divine so the world would see what God is really like. And after they've been miraculously rescued from Pharaoh, how quickly they've forgotten about that, and they are back to, we're thirsty. And so he, he miraculously provides water, and they're still grumbling, man, we were better off in the old life. And the story of the Exodus, it resonates with people. It has resonated with people for 3,000 years now because it's the story of us. It's the story of humanity, isn't it? 
It is our story because I am this way. You are this way. God saves us and he redeems us and he keeps finding new things to deliver us from because none of us are perfect. We're being perfected, which means we're not perfect. So we're being perfected. He's continually rescuing us and shaping us and molding us. He finds these things to deliver us from so we can, he can transform us into the true children of God and we grumble and we complain. We forget about the last thing he did. And since the time of the Exodus, God has been trying to shape a new kind of people in the world. That's what you and I are called to be. And yet, just like us, these Israelites, they miss the point again and again and again. And the, and the Egypt that God is, is uh, still delivering people from can be different things to different people here today. We all have a different Egypt that he's rescuing us from. What, what that source of bondage for folks, it's what we're focusing on this morning. The one source of bondage is our words, our words. Now, if you do a, a, a scripture study on the word word or the word tongue, it comes up again and again and again. So God thinks that our words are a big deal. In Proverbs chapter 17, the wisdom writer says, the one who has knowledge uses words with restraint, and whoever has understanding is even-tempered. So notice it links even-tempered with restraint. Even-tempered and restraint. Words have a way of raising the temperature in the room. Anybody ever been in one of those conversations, right? And then it says, even fools are thought wise if they keep silent. That's excellent advice for some of us. Uh, If they keep silent and discerning. Even if you're a fool, you can look discerning if you hold your tongue. Now, fool in the Hebrew scriptures is is loaded with meaning. It's not just, you know, not being smart or you scored low on the SATs or something like that. Fool in the Hebrew is is this poignant term, means it's a person who does not understand how to live with God, doesn't understand how the world works. Uh, So it's a heavy, it's a loaded word. It says even a fool can be thought wise if they just learn to keep silent. Ecclesiastes, a couple pages to the right, chapter 10, says this, words from the mouth of the wise are gracious, but fools are consumed by their own lips. At the beginning, their words are folly. At the beginning, you're like, oh, that's, this guy is hilarious. There's Jim. He's, yeah, just don't even listen to him, right? He's harmless. At the end, they are wicked madness, and fools multiply words. So at first, it's just folly. It's ridiculous. But by the end, it is a, a fool can cause real evil, wicked madness. The wisdom writer here is stressing that, that a, a fool is somebody who can't control their tongue and the damage it can cause is real. The damage, it, it, it's viral. It goes viral. We see that today. It's contagious. Now, I'm going to tell on myself a little bit here today. I, I have this problem. When I get into a... Um, a heated discussion. I'm usually a pretty even-tempered guy. I'm pretty low-key. You know, I'm chill. Um, but every once in a while, particularly, and for some reason it only manifests, uh, mostly with my, my sweet wife, who is perfect in every way. Um, but every once in a while, we'll have a misunderstanding. None of you will really understand or be able to relate to this. Um, but just sympathize with my poor, pathetic situation. Um, we'll have a, a little misunderstanding. And, and there's this moment in the misunderstanding 
where all I have to do is apologize or say, or choose to say, well, this is how I'm feeling instead of you're making me, right? This is how, or something like, would you mind, love, just explain to me again what you mean by that so I can really understand how you tick. I want to understand where you're coming from. There's this clear moment sometimes where all I need to do is hold my tongue or, or ask for clarity, and I don't do this. I don't do it. Uh, I'm suddenly in that moment, there's something that comes over me, and I am so committed to my moral rights, <laughs> my righteousness in this conversation. Oh, that even when I have said something boneheaded, and I know I have, or something so unintelligent, that now we don't have a misunderstanding. We have a disagreement, right? It's gone to DEFCON 2. And it's that moment where, I always know it, because it's that moment where whatever she has in her hands, it's her phone or the clicker to the TV or a knife or something like that, it gets put down. And she says, what did you say? And that's when I go, oh, oh, ooh, that's when I know. Oh, this has gone off the rails. The I'm sorry, what did you say? That's not good. It's, it's going downhill right then. Now, there again, I have a moment. I have a choice. There's a moment where I can say, I'm sorry. I think I misspoke. Let me back up a second here. What I meant to say was this. Or, boy, I realize how that probably just sounded or how that just came out. Um, or I could just say, I'm sorry. Or I can just shut up. And I don't. I charge ahead. You would think I would learn. We've been married 23 years this summer. 23 years. So you would think, I, so I should know this. I should know this by now. And I'm getting better. I am getting, can I, I think she would say I'm getting better. Um, we actually have, we have a really good communicative relationship. It, it's, it's beautiful. But every once in a while, I forget everything I've learned. Um, and so we'll start with this misunderstanding, and then it grows three heads, and it runs down the room, becomes the disagreement, and, and the spoon and the fork get put down on the table, and it's, what did you just say? And I feel the air literally freeze in the room around me. <laughs> it's escalating. And all I have to do, all I have to do is just be quiet and take a step back and take a time out until I'm ready to, to deal with this like an intelligent adult, and I just stand there charging ahead, being a fool. And when you're really in the mood to blow things up, it, here's some advice. Bring up the past. Ah, oh, yeah, there's, there's a tactic. So they're upset over one thing, right? So you bring up something totally unrelated. So now you're losing on two fronts. Right? You've lost this battle. Now you get to lose two battles. Um, so that is called pouring fuel on the fire. Right? Some of us have been there. Pouring fuel on the fire. And I realize in that moment, you know what I am? I am a gas can man. <laughs> All I have to do in that moment is whew, I can blow this out right now. Instead, I take my little gas can. I go, hmm, let's see what happens here. Ooh. Whoosh. That's interesting. Check that out. All I have to do with the bride of my youth is say, I am sorry. Let me step back here. And instead, out of righteous indignation and the need to win, ooh, let's see if it makes a circle. <laughs> right? 
the gas can man. Any gas can guys here? Or women? You can be gas can women. And how many times do you go, I cannot believe this is all coming out of my mouth? The Bible has a pretty little word to describe us. And things escalate. And we come back with any weapon that flies into our brains at that point. Anything that seems like it'll work. And it's a lack of restraint with the things that come out of our mouth. Are you somebody who, when you feel yourself starting to lose the upper hand in an argument, you multiply your words? You double down. You reload. You pour more fuel on the fire. Instead of exercising restraint. So maybe this Lent season for you is saying, God, I need to rein in my tongue. I need restraint. Help me. I need to set down the gas can. I need to give up needing to win and instead pursue love and reconciliation. Because when I win, everybody loses. You know that? When you're in an argument and you win, everybody's lost. Now, sometimes it's not just the sheer mass of words coming out that we're regurgitating. It is about the nature of our words. Psalm 64, verse 2, David says, Hide me from the conspiracy of the wicked, from the plots of evildoers. They sharpen their tongues like swords and aim cruel words like deadly arrows. There's a fascinating explanation I came across uh, by a rabbi for the difference in, the, in how words can be like a sword and an arrow. He said that, that swords are used to jab or slice uh, and, or cut, but it remains in your hand. You can pull it back. Arrows are different, right? Once it's shot, whoosh, it's released. It's gone. Uh, the, the rabbis say this is why the Psalms speak of words like arrows. Once you speak them, you cannot get them back. It's not like you can shoot it and run, go grab it out of the air. Oh, wait, you don't want to hear that. Let me just uh, keep you from hearing that. Um, this, this weekend, the men had an awesome camping trip, and they had a lot of fun. We were out there, and, and uh, one of the cool parts of the day was we, were, we got to shoot some arrows. We got to throw some axes, like these actual axes that you get to throw. And, I mean, we sh- they were shooting skeet guns, rifles. And all this. It was just awesome. I mean, everybody's just shooting arrows and throwing axes. The testosterone was flowing like the imagined blood of our vanquished enemies. And uh, it was awesome. We were just doing all kinds of this great, cool, manly stuff. And uh, started with a safety lesson, right? <laughs> Make sure when you're pulling your arrow back, you know you're ready to fire. You're, and you know where you're going to aim it. And, it's, and there's nobody back there getting their arrow. And same with, you know, throwing the axes. When we're throwing your axe. Make sure the other guy has already gotten his axe and he's out of the way. Because there's no throwing it. And then going, oh, wait, 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 wait. Let me just get that out of your back. I didn't mean you don't need that. No. Once it's gone, it is gone. It is gone. Um, how many of you can think of Maybe things said years ago, and they're, they're still in the air in your relationship with somebody. That arrow, that twing, words are arrows, and you're like, I can't believe I just said that. And often what happens is it happens most often with the people that we love the most deeply, 
because what happens is there's this little piece of information that we know. There's that one vulnerability with someone that we know cuts really deeply. And we know this is the meanest thing to bring up. And, and before we give ourselves too much time to rethink it, we let it fly like an arrow. And the damage is done. And we're like, did I just say that? Did I just bring that up? I did. And now we have a whole nother discussion, which is where did that come from, right? So with gas cans, it's spilling out words. It's not being able to restrain the tongue. And with the arrows, it's choosing that most painful thing to let fly. And so maybe the Lent season, this Lent season for you is the time for you to say, God, I do not want to fire arrows like that. Put a guard on my tongue, Lord. Let's look over at another scripture, Proverbs chapter 18. Fascinating word pictures. The Bible is brilliant. I'm just telling you. Proverbs 18. It says this, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to a person's innermost parts. Any chocoholics in here today? Any fellow chocoholics? Oh, yeah. Uh, growing up, uh, you have a favorite candy bar? For, for me growing up, the Reese's peanut butter cup Whoever was that person that accidentally ran together and mixed their chocolate and the peanut butter, oh, I just want to give them a big hug. I mean, that, that was good stuff. Pulling off the little wrapper on the outside so you get the little, you see the ridges on there. The joy of my youth right there. It's a mystical experience, chocolate. And then later, Snicker bars. The Snickers got the peanut. It satisfies. You know, it really does satisfy, they say. And all of this is, is just bittersweet for me now because I can't have them because somehow I developed an allergy to nuts. Thank you, universe. So I can't have either of those two things. But, you know, it's all, whatever that chocolate is for you, um, just a picture, a picture right now, whatever, it might be a, a, a Twix, a Rolo, a Kit Kat, whatever it is, and you picture opening it up, and you just, you know that first sniff, you smell it, even before you bite it, you smell it, yeah, you know what I'm saying, Rick, <laughs> and you're like, oh, this is living, this is the picture that we get of gossip, it's unbelievably attractive, it tastes so good. Did you hear about? No, I didn't. And all of a sudden, uh, and your brain is on all systems go. I did not hear about that. What did they say? Because I need to know how to pray. Please tell me right now. <laughs> right? And, and, yeah, and you know there's that one friend. You have that one friend. Hopefully it's not you. But you have that one friend who always seems to know what's going down. They, like, know all the information for anybody else. Like, they're connected to the dark web or something like that. And you know, oh, they, they're going to, they've, the, they've got the new stuff. And they're like, come to you, hey, I got something new. It's going to be a hit. And they're telling you. And the Bible says this is gossip. It's unbelievably sweet and attractive, and it tastes so great. Not only that, nowadays, think about how many times clickbait pops up on your screen. You know what they call clickbait. It's there because it, it, it like works on some weird deep level of your brain to get you to click on it because it, it entices you. Every two minutes or something, we're, we're told something about this actor or this actress or what some famous athlete or what some uh, politician tweeted or something. And in America, we have commoditized gossip. This is a multi-billion dollar industry. Our culture consumes gossip. 
And what's worse is now we have, uh, the, we have uh, this new phenomenon with news channels and with Facebook and things like that. We confuse gossip with like things that actually matter, you know, like, like politics or race relations or healthcare. But now it's all just rolled up into this one big, tasty glob, toxic, gooey gossip ball. Now, in the old days, think back, um, when, I was, when I was a teenager, I remember being in the grocery store, and you got your industrial-scale gossip, usually from one source, right? And that was the magazines. And they were uh, sold right there in the checkout line, right next to the what? Candy. You see the connection? Right? Because it tastes great. It gives you that little buzz, doesn't it? But it is not a healthy meal. It is not ultimately sustainable. Oh, yeah, and it is actually toxic to consume. Whether we're talking about a famous person or we're talking about the person in the next aisle from you right here at church. Do you struggle with hearing little fragments about people and you can't wait to share it? And so maybe for you, the slavery of Egypt that God wants to help you leave means becoming the kind of person who can say, you know what, I really don't want you to share that with me. Or you know what, I, I don't know if we should be discussing that person right now because that's called triangulation, right? I'm talking to you, but we're talking about a third person who's not here. That, I don't think we should be doing this. Maybe this season is, you could say, I, I don't think this is the real me, but I, it is what I seem to do, and, and I don't want to be that kind of person. Maybe that's you. Let's get another picture from Scripture, because this is good. We, we compared venomous speech to gas cans, arrows, Candy, Ephesians 4 says this, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. What are we supposed to let come out of our mouths? What builds others up? What builds others up? Now, this scripture, I'll just tell you, this is really cool. This is one of those cases where it, it's a, it can be really easy to miss the impact of the scripture in the original language, in the original Greek, because in the modern world, we have this word wholesome, which is kind of like the most bland vanilla word, right? Wholesome. If I told my, my 13-year-old boy, hey, go be wholesome today, he would just be like, dad, how old are you? Like, what? <laughs> wholesome. But this word, unwholesome, don't let unwholesome talk, it's far more nuanced and, and vibrant. In the Greek, it's the word sepo, as in septic. Sepo, it means rotten or putrid. Do not let any septic talk. You ever let something sit in the fridge a little too long, that cheese or that cabbage, you know, it's in there, it gets kind of furry. It's fascinating, the things that happen. <laughs> you know that smell? Yeah. When it comes to Lent, we usually think of fasting as something that we're not going to, uh, we're going to give up things that we put into our mouth. But in Ephesians, Paul is reminding us that, hey, don't let putrid stuff like that come out of your mouth. You can fast that. Jesus, the Son of God himself, says this in Matthew, what goes into someone's mouth doesn't defile them. It's what comes out of their mouth that is what defiles them comes out of our mouth that defiles us. Now, notice something here. When we talk about septic speech, rotten or putrefying, what does that mean? It, typically, 
you th we think of things like some kind of food, like meat or vegetables. That's what goes rotten, doesn't it? In other words, it's stuff that was originally life-giving. Hmm. But now, what was good has decayed. It's been perverted. It's no longer, it no longer gives life. It gives, it's literally death. It was fresh. It was pure to consume. It would give you energy, but it's become death. It's something that was good and true. It's become distorted, perverted, twisted. So I was thinking of an example. Think about humor, our jokes, telling jokes, maybe that were inappropriate. Uh, humor is great. It was given to us by God, right? He made us to laugh, but in the right context. If we tell sexual jokes, we're taking something beautiful and sacred, something given to us by God, we're distorting it into something base, something common, profane. If you tell racial jokes, we're taking something beautiful and holy, a person's uniqueness, their ethnicity, Something sacred to God is their uniqueness, and we're making it an object of scorn, of hatred, of mocking. We're turning something life-giving into something septic. I'm not talking about humor that's quirky and smart, you know, or self-effacing or something like that. It's humor that has a dark side. Sometimes we're like, oh, it's harmless, it's no big deal, it's just a joke, right? But on a deeper level, it's septic. It's septic. It takes something good and true, and we spin it into words of death. I find it really interesting. Right now in this day that we're living in, just an observation, very often the world seems to take the lead at policing this in our culture. They'll find things that have now become hurtful to people, or now that we're becoming more aware that are hurtful to people, and saying, hey, we don't, let's not do this anymore. We don't say this anymore. And what's weird is sometimes as Christians, especially in our culture, we push back on that. Like, we're offended by that. Like, no, 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 why are you changing the rules? When shouldn't we be at the forefront of that? What if Christians were at the forefront of going, you know what, this, hurt, this phrase, this word, this picture, whatever this is, this logo, is this is hurtful to folks. And our goal, our whole mission in life is to be the kingdom, is to, is to be grace and love, and to be those people who spread reconciliation. What if we were on the forefront of saying, hey, let's not do this world, instead of being the people like, ah, you shouldn't be changing stuff, right? Why are they changing? They're changing my syrup or something like that. Well, maybe that was hurtful to somebody who doesn't look like you, right? That's, that's, and so that's for, something for us to, to keep in mind. We should be on the forefront of this kind of thing. And this is why Paul says, speak what builds people up, edifies, gives life, actually benefits those who listen. We don't have to be afraid of, of growing, right? Of maturing. We should. We should always be maturing. We don't have to be afraid of that. Words. Words. In the scriptures, words give life. Words created life as far back as Genesis, right? In the beginning, God spoke. God spoke. Words create reality. In the Gospel of John, we're told in some mysterious way that words themselves were Christ, and those words became flesh 
and dwelt among us. So in the scriptures, words give life. Words breathe vitality, which means if words create life, words can destroy life. Think about it. Throughout your life, I'm guessing throughout your life, you have been encouraged by people. You have been inspired by someone who spoke affirming words to you. Think of that person in the past who said something to you. They told you you were great. You, were, you can do it. They told you they loved you, whatever it was. And some of us have been told encouraging things years ago, and we're still being fueled by those words because words create life. Words create life. And in the same way, what, would, what do we say when someone says something harmful? Ah, oh, he said that, and that just killed me. Oh, I wanted to die when I heard that. Right? I've, I've had a, a sentence spoken before, and even that long after the arrow is pulled out of my stomach, the Holy Spirit's still pouring in the medicine. Because words create life, and they create death. They're loaded. Our words are loaded with divine potential to give life or to destroy it. So maybe this Lent season for you, the Egypt that you need to leave behind for good are the words that we tend to speak. And we need to set them aside. The gas cans, the arrows, the candy, that speech of decay. And lastly, I wonder if for some of us the greatest pain we speak isn't what we say to others, but the lies that we speak to ourselves. What we say to ourselves about ourselves. Our own internal dialogue that's it's killing us, that message that we believe about our own worth. I'm unworthy, I'm nothing, I'm a mess, I don't belong, I have no future, no one will ever love me, tomorrow will be the same as today. Those are lies that we tell ourselves. I'm not smart enough, thin enough, nobody cares. And for some of us, the words that God wants to deliver us from are the voices in our own head. Ephesians 4 the Apostle Paul says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. See, there's something really profound these early Christians were onto here. And that is the, the, the early church, they kept insisting that in Christ, something has happened. Something actually has happened. Something essential in the very fabric of the universe here in his death and resurrection, that there is an old self and there is a new self. It's helpful to me whenever I, I that those destructive internal dialogues come along, I have to remind myself, that's old self. I don't listen to old self anymore. I don't listen to old self anymore. Because ultimately, see what those, those critical words, what those voices are saying to you is that Christ is a liar. That what he did wasn't really good enough to make you priceless to God. That's what those voices are saying. So the first step is to simply refuse some of those messages, realizing you don't have to listen to them. You have permission by God himself 
to not listen to those voices. Maybe you were abused. Maybe you were abandoned. Maybe you were lied to. Maybe you were lied about, betrayed. And so you have this recording that plays like on this endless loop in your head about who you are because of that. And listen, you don't have to listen to those voices. You don't have to listen to those voices. And maybe this Lent season, first and foremost, you say, I'm going to refuse to listen to those voices that are lying about who I am. Because the truth is, you, you can't stop pouring on the gas You can't stop shooting the arrows. You can't stop handing out the gossip candy or regurgitating the septic rot of toxic speech until we stop swallowing the lies that we feed ourselves about ourselves. You can't, it it won't stop coming out until you stop inhaling it. So when it comes to Christ, we are simply not who we were. This is what the writers are, are telling us. We are simply not who we were. You have been forgiven, redeemed, blessed, chosen. This is what the Israelites kept forgetting. They kept forgetting. They looked around and they forgot that God had set them apart for a reason, a purpose. And you are called by God for a purpose. It's time to let him set us free. Time to fast the venom coming out of our mouths. Amen. I'm going to pray for us. And if you're here today and you would say, I need, I need God to set a guard over my mouth. Maybe one or more of these things are, are something I struggle with. And nobody's going to judge you for this. But you would, you would be courageous enough to say, yeah, this is something. This is, this is something I have to battle against. I feel like it's a constant battle. I don't want <clears> to <throat> be that person. I want to be free from this. Or maybe you're here today, and it's the lies that you've allowed to play on repeat in your brain, and you're ready to say no once and for all, to leave Egypt behind as you walk towards Easter if you're here today and, and you would just like the Lord to touch you in that very special way, I would love for you to just stand right where you're at, at your chair. You could just stand up. I'm going to pray for all of us, and let's all be, be in prayer for this. Amen. Bow your heads with me. Praise the Lord. Dear God, Holy Father, Lord, we invite you to be Lord over our tongues. We invite you into our hearts, into our minds, into our pain, these these deep waters, Lord God, that produce what comes out of our mouth. Lord, we invite you into those places. God, for some of us, we need restraint. So this, this Lent season, Lord God, as we journey to resurrection, Lord God, we repent of these things and we ask you to help us put away the gas can. God, for some of us, we are master archers. We know an arrow. We know how to use it. Help us to put down the arrow. God, for others of us, we take such a joy in gossip, and we we acknowledge that there's something, there's just something warped about that, and we ask you to come sit on the throne of our lives. Help guard our speech. Lord, we have a compulsion to distort and decay things, to take pleasure in that. And it's, 
It's troubling, Lord God, and we, we invite you, Holy Spirit, into these dark waters of our soul. And then, God, for many of us, we have this internal dialogue, Lord, which is just crippling. And God, I pray right now, in Jesus' name, for those with the suicidal voices, for those with the voices of despair, voices of aggression, voices of anger, voices of hate, we call on the God who always hears the cry. You heard the cry of the Israelites in Egypt, Lord God, and you hear our cry now, and we cry out right now for a new exodus because we don't want that stuff rattling around in our brains any longer. Lord God, as we journey towards Easter, help us to identify what it is you're inviting us to leave in Egypt because we want to be everything you've created us to be. We thank you, Jesus, who leads us to freedom, who leads us to hope, to love. We thank you for forgiveness, for reconciliation. We thank you for the restoration that yet I know your Holy Spirit is doing in us. We are so grateful. And all God's people said, amen. Amen, amen, amen. If you're here today and there's something we can pray for you about, we invite you to make sure you let us know. Uh, you can submit your prayer request uh, a lot of different ways. You can put it in the offering boxes. You can, you can uh, put it online at gchurch.net. You can use the church app. Uh, Pastor Albert's going to be right here down forward, down front. If you would like to, to come up and have him pray with you, he would love a chance to get to pray with you. And uh, so we invite you to do that. Don't go through these things on your own. Amen. Amen. Uh, will you stand to your feet with me as we leave here today? I'm going to do, do this a little differently. May, my friends, may you allow God to reveal what you need to leave in Egypt as you journey towards Easter. May your words this week be filled with grace and truth. And may you listen to no other inner voice but that of the Holy Spirit who loves you and has called you according to his purpose. Amen. Grace and peace be to you. Bye-bye. Don't have